0: You know, we're in the final two weeks of our series called Ordinary People, Extraordinary God, and we've been looking at these encounters that Jesus had with just ordinary people like you and I, and today our focus is in the uh, final moments that Jesus spent with His disciples before He ascended into heaven. These are His last words to them. Surely you've had situations in your life where you've had last words experiences, right? Right? Uh, it's it, it can be your uh, last day on the job or the day you move to a new city uh you gather those close to you and uh you say your goodbyes these 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 conversations these words are are in these kind of encounters are usually packed with uh meaning it 's a uh a summing up perhaps of the relationship of what That relationship has meant, and uh, it's also, where do we progress from here? Where do we go from here? We speak of the future, and Jesus, in speaking this final time with his disciples, he has some important things to say to them, and they're not only for him. He's speaking to his followers, those that will carry out the mission of Christ in the world today, and I want us to look at this passage and just uh, kind of make some comments about what Jesus is showing us here. Acts, the first chapter, verses 4 to 11, read like this Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem. This is Jesus commanding the disciples, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, Is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you, my disciples, you, my followers, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth after he had said these things he was lifted up while they were looking on and a cloud received him out of their sight and as they were gazing into the intently into the sky while he was going behold two men in white clothing stood beside them they also said men of galilee (laughs) i love some of these questions angels come up with right Why do you stand looking into the sky? I want to say, didn't you see what just happened? They say, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Now, if you'd been an apostle on that particular day, you might have been thinking that this whole thing was coming to a conclusion. These last three years, this journey with Jesus has kind of now brought itself to this conclusion. And in spite of recent events, the crucifixion, the resurrection, it would have been impossible for you to have not thought at least that these moments were the end of this whole thing. Jesus is telling them this ministry, this movement, this message, transforming gospel, guys, it's just getting started. It's just getting started. He says things in the passage, you will be, future tense, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You will receive power. You will be my witnesses. In other words, the life of Jesus lives on through his followers. I say amen to that, right? The life of Jesus is still living on in this world. It's just through you and I. In many ways, that's the church, the body of Christ, the revelation of God to the world. Quite an awesome responsibility. But how does this happen? What does it look like for the church to be the bearers of the life of Christ, the revelation of the life of Jesus to the world? Well, he tells his disciples, he wants them to know, I'm sending you my spirit, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. You're going to be baptized in him. You're going to be immersed in him. You're going to be flooded over by the life of God. He will come upon you, filling you with his very life, and he will be your power, your source, your life, He starts by telling them to wait in Jerusalem for the promise, the Holy Spirit. Some time has elapsed since the resurrection, and Pentecost had not yet come, and so he says, don't leave Jerusalem. Wait, the Holy Spirit will be poured out on you. We know in the second chapter of Acts, that's exactly what happens. They were told to wait. But the Holy Spirit now has been given into the world. He's been given to them. He's been given to every believer. Did you know that if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit living within you? Amen. You have the Holy Spirit. It's not wait for us. We have him. In fact, over Ephesians, Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14, it reads this, in him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. It was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. So upon believing, I just believe in Jesus Christ, the very life of God through the Holy Spirit is given unto me. You belong to God, but not just legally. Sin forgiven, righteous entry to heaven, not just that, but relationally bonded together for the praise of His glory. So we don't have to wait around hoping, hoping someday we're going to get the Holy Spirit. Our problem today perhaps is that we take it for granted. Or perhaps we allow ourselves to think He's something that He is not. No doubt. Let me ask you this. Is there a lot of discussion about the Holy Spirit in the church today? about who He is, what He does. If you have the Holy Spirit, you act like this, or you don't act like this, are there, is there a lot of debate in the church today about the Holy Spirit? There are some who think the Holy Spirit is, uh, is this, this, uh, this uh, presence of God that comes in, and they, they, have a kind of a, they do all these kind of wild things. And there are other Christians who are simply afraid of the Holy Spirit and because they're afraid He might make them do like those people. <laughs> I don't want that. I had a lady one time visit our church, and um, <laughs> you'd be surprised at some of the comments I get. She visits our church and she says, Pastor, I'm looking for the Holy Spirit. She said this Jesus, I get that. I'm looking for the Holy Spirit. What I'm seeking is not Jesus, but Him. It, it, it was almost as if the Holy Spirit is something different than Jesus. He's not. It, and it was almost as if the Holy Spirit is a higher level. Jesus, he's kind of the entry point. And then after Jesus, I'm here to tell you, there's nothing after Jesus. Jesus and his Holy Spirit come and fill you at the moment of your belief, as it says in Ephesians the first chapter. So what is the Holy Spirit? How should He be living in me? How should He exhibit His life, this life of God that has filled me? How should the church, filled with the Spirit of God, look, what should it be like? I think we can learn a lot from this little passage, Jesus' final words to His disciples. And I'm going to give you four words today, just four words. Four words. Can you remember four words? If you're like me, I've got to get it down. I mean, some of you are contending for three. I hear that, but uh... (laughs) I had three until just lately. (laughs) I tell you what, last night I was saying, I got those three words, I got it, and it was like the Holy Spirit said, I want you to have four words, okay? So blame Him, all right? All right, the first word is, is kind of given. Oh, I do want you to know this, to make it even easier, I, I, all four words start with the same letter. You all right with that? All right, first one, this is a given, power, power. I always find dialogue between Jesus and the disciples fascinating. Uh, It's easy to um, look down on the disciples, but uh, so many times I go, I would have said the very same thing. You see, in verse 6, the disciples ask Jesus if, um, okay, now that it's all complete, Jesus, you've died, you've risen from the dead, and now you're getting ready to go in. Now, now your real work is going to happen, Right? You're going to fulfill our expectation for the Messiah. You're going to restore Israel, right? Here we are at the ascension. All that's been done, all that's been said, and they still don't understand the mission. When Jesus talked about the kingdom, He said things like this. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, where? On earth, just as it is in heaven. He he said things like this. Blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. Oh, I get that, Jesus. When are you going to restore Israel? You see... The Jewish listeners of the day would fit everything, in, everything he said into their Jewish filter that said the Messiah would change their world in such a way that the nation of Israel would be delivered from its bondage, restored to its rightful place and home in Palestine, and returned to its God-given prominence in the world. The Messiah will do that for us when He comes. Jesus has come. He is going to do that for us. The listeners wanted Jesus to restore the world And Jesus came to rescue people from the world. People wanting Jesus to restore this world. Does that go on today? Sometimes I hear things like this. People want power, Holy Spirit power. I want power because I want my earthly life better. If I really have the Holy Spirit, I'll never get sick. I'm going to have more money than I can spend. Everybody's going to like me. If I have the Holy Spirit, I'm always going to be happy. If we're not careful, every one of us can fall into faulty thinking that God's role is to completely to make our temporary existence in this world His goal. Now, I'm not saying He doesn't. Does, does God bless us in earthly ways? Uh, yeah. God blesses us immensely in earthly ways. I, I, I just look at my own life and I can attribute these blessings to God, but I'm telling you today, graduates, I'm telling you, young people, I'm telling you, it is not your personal peace and your personal prosperity is not God's mission in your life. And there may be times where you just have a great sense of peace and He's provided for your needs and there's just blessing and blessing and blessing, but that is not His primary mission in your life. His power is poured out on His followers so that we can carry out His mission, an eternal mission, being the light of Christ to a lost the hopeless world. Word number two, presence. John 14, Jesus is talking right before his crucifixion with his disciples. He says things like this. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who will be with you forever. He will abide with you and be in you. I'm not leaving you as orphans. We, he says, my Father, myself, and the Holy Spirit will come to you and we will make our Home. With you. Let me ask you, how aware of God's presence, I mean, presence, how aware are we of His presence? A.W. Tozer writes in his classic, The Pursuit of God, he says, A spiritual kingdom lies all about us, enclosing us, embracing us all together within reach of our inner selves, waiting for us to recognize it. God himself is here waiting for our response to his presence. He says, this eternal world will come alive to us the moment we begin to reckon upon its reality. I read that and it just struck me how aware, how in tune, how am I walking in the very presence of His companionship in my life. <laughs> I don't know about you, but there are times where the focus of the day just kind of consumes me with world stuff. Anybody else like that? it has got too many things to take care of. And there's those moments where I just stop and go... The presence of God is all around me. The presence of God is in me. The real thing that's going on is not in the natural. The real thing that's going on, the reality is what is going on in His presence. Tozer also makes this statement. He says, if we we truly want to follow God, we must seek to be otherworldly. If you really want to follow God, you have to live outside of the natural and into the way in which He sees the world. And we begin to see the world through His lens, and we see our lives here as bearers of His life through His Holy Spirit, cooperating with His power that's at work within us to bring about this mission of grace and love. It's compelling. We can't... uh, (laughs) We can't have it embodying in our life and just ignore it. Our values reflected, our churches reflected. Do you believe in the power of the Holy Spirit today? Do you believe in the presence of the Holy Spirit today? Third word proclamation. Jesus tells his followers that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my what? <laughs> witnesses. And, and the first thing to notice about the, the uh, that I notice about it is that he uses a possessive pronoun. Who's witnesses? <laughs> my Jesus. You will be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit will make people witnesses of Jesus. One more Tozer quote. In fact, it's a title of one of his sermons. He says, don't beg for the Holy Spirit. Glorify Jesus. So many people putting Jesus on the shelf. I just want the Holy Spirit. I want power, I want power, I want power. He says, glorify Jesus and what's going to (laughs) happen? The power of God's going to be at work in your life. William Barclay says this about this idea of being a witness. Let us note certain things about this Christian witness. First, a witness is someone who says, I know this is true. In a court of law, hearsay is not accepted as evidence. Witnesses must give an account of their own personal experiences. A witness does not say, Oh, I think so. No, he says, I know. Secondly, he says, The real witness is not of words, but of deeds. He makes this he makes this, analogy, uh, this illustration. When the journalist Sir Henry Morton Stanley had discovered David Livingstone in Central Africa and had spent some time with him, he said this, "If I had been with him any longer, I would have compelled to be a Christian." <laughs> and he never spoke to me about it at all. The witness of Livingstone's life was irresistible. Third, in Greek, the word for witness and the word for martyr are the same. A witness had to be ready to become a martyr. To be a witness means to be lo—means to be loyal whatever the cost. This is the truth. If the truth costs me, so be it. But this is the truth. And Jesus is saying when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses. Notice he doesn't say that I hope when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses. It would be nice if you would be my witness when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. No, he's making the statement that when the Holy Spirit is filling you with the life of God and you are understanding what that reality is, the way that you live, the way that you make decisions, the way that you handle resources, everything will testify to your firsthand experience with God. And it won't be an experience that you can change your story down the road somewhere because it's your story. It's the truth. I don't have to tell you this, but in our day and age, being a witness for Jesus Christ can cost you, right? What I say is I I still don't have any choice. (laughs) It's the truth. It's the truth. We're bound by what we know to be true because of our first-hand experience with Him. The culture, it keeps pressing. It wants the church to change its values, change your beliefs. Can't you get up to date? I can't. I'm bound. But what I know to be true because I have first-hand experience with him." Just think of the word witness. He uses that word witness. A witness is someone who is called to the stand to do what? Just testify to what they know. A witness is not aggressive to prove a point or to win an argument. Amen. A a, a witness is not there to close a sale, Mm -hmm. right? They're just called to give account of what they know to be true. And I would contend that simply living in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit results in the bearing witness of who He really is. Last word is promise. Once He'd finished speaking, He ascended into the clouds, and you can just see the disciples standing around. Wouldn't you have stood around and looked up in the sky for a while? I would have. The angels come and say, why are you looking into the sky? It's like they're saying, guys, this is all part of the plan. And guess what? He's coming back. Amen. He's coming back. He's coming back. The Lord himself, 1 Thessalonians 4, will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, and we may still be alive, right? And remain, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always eternally be with the Lord. Then he says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. Verse 18. I mean, that just ought to energize us, excite us. And yet so many... Christians, people of God, yeah, I love Jesus. They just, their lives are just constantly, they're just bound up with frustration and fear and anger and general angst. Is it all right if I just say this? That's not Jesus' plan for you. It's just not. And maybe, maybe perhaps we've been like the disciples asking Jesus to fix our lives when He wants to engage us in something far greater. He wants to engage us in this grand mission that in turn does what? (laughs) Fixes our lives. It's kind of a paradox. Is the Holy Spirit, the abiding life of Jesus, so real in us that others, they come, they just kind of see our life and they rub shoulders with us or they work with us or they live in our neighborhood and they just, what is it about you? You must have found the well of joy somewhere. What what is it with you? I'm afraid there's too many Christians going out and saying, you know, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm fearful and depressed and worry all the time. Come join my movement. (laughs) Do we see how temporary, how fleeting this life, this world really is? As I read in Hebrews 12 for the communion, have we fixed our eyes on him whose one day is coming back for us. By his Holy Spirit, we have received divine power, his presence to proclaim him until he returns on one absolutely glorious day. (laughs) I want you to pray with me. Father, I'm so thankful for all of this just wrapped up in these few verses, this, uh, this mission statement in many ways, that there will be this spirit that is powerful, that is present with us, that we walk with through life, that is not just here to pamper us and to make us happy, but is to engage us in something far greater than our own self. And Father, that as we just allow this presence, this powerful presence to work through our life, there's going to come that moment when either we breathe our last and forever enter into Your presence, or You come while we're still alive and You take us home, and then (laughs) we will forever ever and ever and ever live in your glorious presence. Father, as, as your people, yes, we, uh, we contend for our faith and we live faithfully and we, uh, we pray day in and day out for the accompanying, abiding presence of your power and your spirit through our lives. And dead. But in the back of our minds and always there is this hope that we have this knowledge of the temporary nature of this world of our eternal home we look forward we anticipate we say come lord jesus come us we'll stand-